Hello, this is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to the making and the remaking of a codependent mind. This time we're going to address a subject that we've cleverly avoided (laughs) for this entire podcast. I think it's maybe come up a little bit. Yeah, barely. But it's the subject of sex. Right. And because we have largely avoided it, I don't know if we want to use the word avoid, but we're going to probably do this over at least two episodes. Almost in a kind of way where the first episode here is kind of like a season one episode because it's such a rich topic that could have been woven into the whole podcast all along, really. So let's talk about why that didn't happen. Well, I mean, I think one reason is I sort of just have this default that that's not something you talk about with people. Yes, me too. (laughs) It's like a private thing. Oh, you know, we leave that out. People don't want to hear about that, or at least that's too private. Right. I don't know if it's the case that people don't want to hear about it, but I mean, it is a private topic and in our culture, in many cultures, but in our culture, Mm -hmm. definitely there's a discomfort, default discomfort with with talking about it, especially outside the relationship. Right. Even in the relationship. Yeah, even in the relationship, (laughs) which is not necessarily healthy or good for us all no i mean some we're not going to be explicit obviously we're not yeah but it's a, a part of human relationships so that's one reason that we haven't talked about it. it's just this kind of messaging that you get from the larger culture that this is not acceptable to talk about publicly right yeah and and i think maybe there was a little bit of this factor of oh fr- family and friends listening to it or something like that and, and not wanting them to know that that level of details about us or something like that similar to other things that i left out like talking about my family in a more honest way yeah so trigger warning for family and friends who are listening if they yeah. don't <laughs> right. hear more about our views about sex and codependency that now would be the time to turn it off yeah there's also because we t- we talked about this you felt you were kind of coordinating it off as somehow different than the other issues that you were dealing with yeah with codependency not only that i didn't even spend any time thinking about it so so many most of most of the things we talked about in the podcast and we've talked about this in our anniversary episode i had done a lot of writing a lot of thinking we had done a lot of daily discussions for a very long time before we even started the podcast there's a lot of things we had learned in the podcast but this area of sex i stayed away from it and there's reasons why, which I now can admit to, but what's here? Well, one being, well, the biggest being fear and shame, mm-hmm. which are the very things that were keeping me from exploring all the other stuff. But somehow, like you were saying, I sectioned off sex this just the sub as like it's a separate thing, which is I fell into my own traps. What I was talking about before I started all this thinking about all this stuff, it all seemed separate. It seemed like this daunting thing. Why do I do this behavior? Why do I right. do that behavior? They all seem separate. Oh, I need to address compartmentalization separately. I need to address, you know, why people pleasing separately, even though it's all connected and it's one system of behaviors. So as all right, all right, you know, we agreed to do this episode, and okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna finally give it the treatment. But I felt as though I was starting from scratch because I kind of was. But what I quickly learned was. It was all the same behaviors. Everything that was in play, everything we've talked about in this podcast applies in the area of sex too. And very quickly, it gave me this huge sense of kind of relief. Oh, I don't have this one more huge mountain to climb. It's not that sex is this kind of secret problem or Mm -hmm. special problem. It was the same insight that you've developed around all your behaviors could be applied to your into the sexual realm as well yeah it is but it also i mean sometimes somehow i was feeling as though the shame was heavier too 
And maybe in some ways it is, but I don't even know if that's true, really. I think that was sort of an excuse to think that, oh, sexual shame is, is more difficult to deal with. So I just, I need to stay away from that. And plus also we had some difficult moments in our earlier days that I didn't want to look at and address either. And every time that came up, I didn't know how to talk about it and I would avoid it. And Right. It wasn't just the podcast. This is a topic that we've struggled to talk about between the two of us as well, which I think is not uncommon for a lot of people, whether they have codependent habits or not. But from your end, some of it was driven by the same things that were driving other codependent behaviors. Yeah, really spending all this time working on it, I don't think I really came up with anything different, anything new. Oh, here's a whole new set of behaviors that I didn't even think of. It was the same. So from from my end, I'll just say off the top, it's not like I'm completely comfortable talking about sex. Mm -hmm. It's something I've had to work on throughout my life. So I think too, I had more difficult kind of pushing the conversation or driving the conversation as well. Yeah, sure. You know, maybe I was a little more reluctant or nervous about challenging you to think about and talk about the sexual aspects of our relationship and the sexual aspects of your past than I was about other aspects of our relationship in your past. Because maybe I was concerned it was different as well. Like uh-huh. it was, right. ma- I wasn't maybe allowed to ask for the level of intimacy or disclosure or analysis that I was asking for in terms of your your other codependent habits. But let's go back to what you're saying is that it was driven by kind of fear and shame as well. Do you have a sense now of what that fear was? What were you afraid of when you, when you? Yeah, well, because like I said, shame and fear were holding me back from addressing all the other stuff too. But those were resolved through conversation mostly. And obviously the sex could have been too, but there's a, a, there's a physical aspect to the sex that I had this fear would somehow infect almost like that, like facing the shame would wreck it, wreck the experience or something. Like I'd become, now I'd be conscious of, or just too conscious of this shame. And would I be able to shake it or, or compartmentalize it in a healthy way or something when I needed to, or, you know, or would I just be kind of permanently, oh God, wow. uh, Just thinking too much about my history or thinking about things that I said that were inappropriate or, you know, just way too conscious of my shame. So the fear was felt different. It would kill the mood. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right, right. Permanently, you must. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah, because uh, we, we have had a very strong sexual connection mm-hmm. from the beginning and a, a very fulfilling and meaningful sexual relationship. Yeah. So I think that was a concern that you did kind of express at a number of points, but maybe we didn't really dig into it. Yeah, yeah. It was a concern that looking too closely at your own sexual history or your own sexuality would disrupt that somehow. Yeah, because basically I was kind of thinking, well, this is this is working. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was in a lot of ways, but like any aspects of a relationship, lack of communication is not good and that's not going to be sustainable. So, you know, I think I could feel that. And obviously every time it came up and I avoided it, I could feel that especially. So it was almost that you had a sense of fragility around our sexual connection. Yeah. And that you didn't trust yourself or trust our relationship, that this was something that you could investigate. Right. So instead, I just got, I, we just got to keep status quo here. Don't disrupt this. Because yeah, I remember thinking, and we, I remember talking about this at various points going back a long ways, is that our sex life kind of 
was like this lifeline a lot of times where, mm-hmm. where we were having especially difficult, say, conversation or evening or weekend or something. And when we were able to connect sexually, it really relieved a lot of that tension and, and felt really good. Like we were re- reconnecting, even though it was physically reconnecting, though I, we were emotionally reconnecting too. Absolutely, because that has been, it's been the whole package, I feel, with us, mm-hmm. a sexual connection that involves an emotional connection and a physical connection and a psychological connection. Yeah, so, but what's missing is, is this other layer of intimacy that we've now talked about several times as being pretty crucial to the longevity of our and the strength of our relationship. Which would involve both of us knowing ourselves sexually and be able to share that knowledge with each other. So it was as if we were kind of both of us trying to cordon off our sex life so that it maybe wouldn't be infected (laughs) by codependency right which but it's kind of interesting right because i think a lot of people who struggle with codependent habits share that fear of disrupting maybe whatever fragile peace they have come to in their life yeah right so maybe they have relationships that are okay maybe not great but they're kind of good enough and what happens if they start to look at their codependent behaviors or start to look at those relationships too closely Mm -hmm. will that go away yeah, so that's why, I mean, really, this this does mirror the whole process because mm-hmm. I I know that that's a thing with people is like, it, do I want to do this work? Do, is it going to be worth the possible pain, additional pain? You, you know, you may be realize that you're carrying pain, but am I ready? Am I, do, is it going to be worth going through way more pain to get to the other side? And uh, so you were thinking, well, we have a, a good sex life. You sensed, you knew. That you were carrying sexual shame yeah. and sexual pain, mm-hmm. emotional pain around sex, we'll say. And yeah, is it, is it worth it to go through it? And is it worth it to share that with Stephanie? And what might that do to our relationship? Right. The same exact vulnerability mm-hmm. as everything else, right? Yeah. Oh, if I go into that, how's that going to be received? How, mm-hmm. How's that going to affect us? How's that going to make me look? Whatever yeah. it is. And that's uh, that's a real fear for sure. That's a real risk that you're taking. Uh, I think that we both agree that it's a risk we're taking because we understand on the other side of it is an increased level of sexual intimacy and so a sexual pleasure. And also it, it strengthens, it removes a fragility from the system. Yeah. Right. And the fragility being, uh, obviously, there was a lot of things that happen, happened in the beginning that kind of tapered off, but still there was always a risk of these types of things. And we could talk about these things. One thing we've talked about several times throughout the podcast was is shame venting. And we tried to give a couple examples. And I remember at the time going, wow, I wish we could talk about the real examples being the most common by far shame venting was sex related. Yeah, we won't necessarily go into details of these shame venting now either, but it's like I didn't even want to to admit that that was the biggest form of, of shame venting that we experienced between the two of us. I'll say one that, again, I, I don't think is particularly explicit. Mm-hmm. You know, it just surrounds a particular sex act. You said to me a number of times, kind of at odd times, mm-hmm. oh, I really enjoy this sex act. I used to love it. I don't know why I'm not doing it with you. Yeah, right. Um, so you said that again a number of times <laughs> until I was like, wait a minute, that's kind of a really shitty thing to say. And that makes me feel really bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. saying like, oh, I loved doing this with other people, but I don't know why I'm not doing it with you. You know, it yeah. kind of caused me 
shame, embarrassment, like what's wrong with me? So it was, it was things like that. And it was mm-hmm. now looking back and obviously it was a tech deck that you had some shame around yes. that you did with people that you didn't feel good about doing it with and were not prepared to, I mean, it was unprocessed shame. Yes. Which is what shame venting is. Yeah. And, and, and this is a classic and it was, it was pretty great being able to apply all of these, all of this logic that we've come up with throughout this podcast to this area and finding it to be so kind of simple. I wouldn't say easy, but simple to make the same parallels and go, oh yeah. I mean, really all that stuff was right below the surface. I was just too afraid to think of it. So for that reason, I just felt as though it was unknowable this kind of unknowable thing. Like why, for one thing, I didn't even realize it was giving me shame thinking about this particular sex act. But then also I had no idea why I would just blurt out something like that to try to deal with it either. You know, it's just this, it was this automatic thing. Right. So you would say this and this is, so this is the the shame vent mechanism, right? You would, you would feel some shame, I guess. Yeah. Not knowing it was shame. You just feel bad Mm -hmm. and you would say it because it it just made you feel better to say it, I guess. Like, oh no, I really love it. I just don't know what I'm doing with you. Yeah. Right. And and, you know, and, and it kind of sounds like the beginning of a conversation, Mm-hmm. Right, we're going to talk about, but it wasn't a bit of a conversation. No. You would that was it. That's all that was said, and you don't think more about it, right? You, no, you're saying, "Oh, I wonder," but you're not wondering. You're not wondering. <laughs> you I'm not actually wondering. Yeah, but then I start to wonder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So you you've passed the shame to me, and I try to myself and in my own mind try to process that shame for you. Like, mm-hmm. okay, why? Why would he like to do it not with me? And of course, then it becomes directed to my mind and me and my body and yeah. and, and, and my sexuality. So that's why, you know, we call it a shame vent because yeah. it can often hurt other people. Yeah, I'm <laughs> venting, I'm blowing the steam into your face. Yeah. And then eventually, now you're ruminating on it going, why? Am, why? Yeah. Trying to figure out the answers yourself without being able to ask me and then when you finally do ask me a question about it in some way i still have the shame there so i'm frozen i can't say anything and basically when i'm in freeze i do my best to come up with the quickest path out so then i just come up up, sometimes would dig myself deeper into the hole because i'd say something just as bad or worse to try to explain it that was nowhere near the reality so yeah there was there was some some wreckage would call it in the beginning because of that kind of stuff which made it then more difficult for both me to talk about it with you and for you yeah. to talk about it with me because then we we both had some kind of confusion and and hurt feelings around it. Yeah, so I had I would have and I had lots of other areas like this that we moved through and resolved long ago at this point that I had a similar feeling about where I wouldn't be thinking about it because I didn't know how to think about it. It gave me too much shame to think about it, but I had this increasing fear Every time the conversation did come up or, or threatened to come up or almost come up um, that I wouldn't be able to deal with again because I hadn't thought of it. And then this, the trust would continue to erode and I would, wouldn't want that trust to erode. I want to solve it, but I don't want it in quotes enough to actually do something about it. Because of the fear. Yeah. That just goes to show again, you're not really protecting yourself in the no. long term. No, not at all. So, right. I mean, it is a risk to deal with these issues and to open up this Pandora's box of your sexuality and our sexual connection and really look at it honestly and authentically is definitely a risk. You could find things out about yourself that maybe I struggle to accept or connect with. You could find things out about me and our connection that may make you think that it's not what you authentically want. So, I mean, it's definitely a risk, but it's also a risk to not do that. Yes, 
and to have it five years from now, 10 years from now, blow up in our, both of our faces because this has been unexamined and it comes up and comes out in different ways, in more destructive ways. Yeah, right. And then just the whole way through, as good as it is, there's this lapse in trust that sort of permeates and is always kind of in the background, right? pretty easy to to cross either one of our minds that there's a lack of trust there so let's go back to the beginning all right yeah and the origins of this shame so the fear was really about feeling shame yes and what that would mean about yourself about us so where does this shame come from where are the origins of of your sexual shame we're going to focus on on yours yeah sure i mean yeah because it 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 goes back as far as is the shame i had about everything else, except it wasn't related to G or my dad this time, I guess, directly anyway. So you didn't experience sexual assault in the relationship with G? No. Um, luckily, thankfully, I guess. I don't, I'm not sure if either of us went through puberty by the time he moved away. I mean, it was, maybe he did, but it just wasn't really, a, yeah, I have no sexual trauma from that, that relationship. Or from your childhood home, really? Yeah, no. Uh, so this is the, like you were saying about Gabor Matei, you don't need drama for trauma. Really, it's more like that. It's, it's more of an indirect trauma that I had um, around being completely solitary with the whole idea of sex. So my parents didn't bring up it at all. They, they did not ever have a talk with us about it. They didn't show any evidence that they even were interested in it. They didn't have any sort of physical, noticeable physical relationship with each other. So just nothing was talked about in my household at all. I went to church every Sunday, but my particular church didn't talk about it either. Um, so it just wasn't a subject that was talked about. It was just this kind of underground thing that just made me sort of, when I, before I hit puberty, I just didn't even think about it at all. It just mm. didn't even cross my mind. It wasn't, it wasn't a topic. You know, I would see things on TV or whatever. It's like, what's that? I don't know. I, who cares? But then once I did start to think about it, inevitably, because of puberty and I very quickly noticed and felt as though I was behind everyone, like, like severely behind in my knowledge of anything related to sex. And anytime I went to any sort of gathering, mostly with all boys, like say Boy Scouts or sports, and that would be the subject, you know, because everyone's all, you know, hormones going crazy and they're all sharing their knowledge and their stories about things that they've experienced or witnessed or whatever it was. And I didn't had no idea what any of them were talking about, and it made me super nervous, and I would bow out. And that was one of the sources when I talked about how I was made myself invisible. A lot of that was because I was afraid of people and afraid of being abused, but I'd say at least half of that was worrying about being exposed, about not knowing anything about sex. So this sex was intertwined, very much intertwined with my overall shame landscape. And really, there's so many sources of shame in our culture around sex. Yeah. So you mentioned that you didn't particularly get any from your family or from your religion, but that's the source of a lot of people's shame around yeah. sex. Yes, like shaming. It, it, yeah, even kind of active shaming. Yeah. You know, we're actively shamed by the media. We're actively shamed often by peer groups. Certainly kind of dominant masculine cultures or spaces dominated by boys and men can be... A source of sexual shame. Yeah, so I was receiving it indirectly, mostly because of my success, I guess, in staying invisible. Because I would witness other people get just completely trashed for this lack of experience or 
seeming gay or whatever it was, you know, like just there was so much just sexual shaming going on growing mm -hmm. up. And, you know, I'm, sh I'm sure that was happening, but I was so much in the boys world that that was my experience. Well, and yeah, I mean, girls get can get it both ways, right? Mm -hmm. You mentioned the shame about lack of experience or, or not manly enough, even yeah. though none of you were men at this point, you know, and then young women get it going both ways, right? So yeah. if they have experience, they're shamed yeah, for right. being sluts. And if they don't have ex experience, they're shamed for being prudes. Yeah, that sounds super complex. <laughs> I mean, there's just shame messages everywhere yeah. when yeah. we're when we're young. I think one of your particular challenges was that you were full up on shame. Yes, exactly. Right. I already had a lot of shame in other areas, too. And yeah, and, right, and you were very sensitive to it. So you were on the lookout for potential sources that you were weak and vulnerable and, and unworthy or de deficient. You were on the lookout to, for sources of shame. Yeah. And then when they touched you, they really touched you. Yes. It was excruciating because yeah. you had, all, you, you know, again, trauma being an emotional wound. These mm -hmm. wounds were very fresh. And so any kind of additional shame that was put on you or potentially put on you was very painful. Yeah. And so I did the work for these invisible abusers that I assumed were everywhere by coming up with these stories, which I've also talked about before, that I was uh, unattractive, uninteresting, things like this. And and so just completely making myself unavailable, unapproachable, basically, not making eye contact with people, just this, this very, like, I'm, I'm just not going to engage with people, especially not in that arena. I'm going to completely stay away from this. And then to make matters worse, for myself anyway, it being the youngest in my grade, and also on top of that being the last to mature, you know, get a low voice, all that kind of thing, well into high school. And so I, that was additional things that I would judge myself for and assumed everyone was looking at and going, oh, what's, look at that little kid, what's he doing here? And so this was this thing that just continued to compound, and I kept myself in this state of extreme fear and extreme shame and just rode that forward year after year after year and continued to carry this message of society that doing things like masturbation was shameful because you're basically a loser. You should be having sex. You shouldn't be doing that. And um, just everything around that, having sexual experience is the pinnacle of masculinity. So yeah, it was really difficult to imagine myself as the years went on ever experiencing it because the further, the, the, like the further I went through life, the more obvious it was going to be or that, you know, I was going to be exposed for this lack of experience or why would anybody want to have an experience with me if I don't have an experience? Like, well, that's, I, I don't want to go down that road. So the dominant thinking was no one's going to want to have sex with me. Yes. Right. So you were not really able to kind of cultivate a sense of yourself as a sexual agent. Yes, that right. Has, that had agency and that would be able to choose who was desirable to you and who was not desirable to you. Yes, right. And actually, and, and this reminds me, this thing I also did was if I found myself desiring somebody, say I had a conversation with someone or I was attracted to a girl or a woman, depending on when it was, I would quickly back off. I, I would feel as though somehow this wasn't going to work out, that somehow I was going to be exposed, this whole thing, this kind of crippling thing. It was going to lead to shame. Yes, it was going to lead to shame somehow, right. This is kind of one of the many areas where, and probably one of the more extreme versions of the area of areas where I shut off my desire and my wants and needs. I was doing this codependently when I was interacting and when I had friends who were basically t stealing the show and I was just giving over all my agency, sure, I'll do what you want to do. But I was also 
doing it because of that, where I was afraid of, of vulnerability, so afraid of it that, oh, I'm, I'm really interested in this person. No, I'm not. I, I, I wouldn't sustain that feeling. People go around, and some people may, may take it to the other extreme where just they obsess about somebody and they can't stop. I would just shut that off immediately. Just, I'm interested in that person. Nope. No, I'm not. I'm, that's, nothing's going to happen with that. So, I mean, I'm powerless. There's nothing I can do. Sexual desire, like other types of desires, was connected very early with shame and fear. Yeah. And then at the core of my fear, one, one, one of the things at the core of my fear was performance, because that seemed to be really tied in with the culture, uh, at least the masculine culture of, of sex was how good were you going to be at it and, and things like that. But also just the, have you done it yet? Uh, you know, how many times have you done it? You know, there, all, all this was very performance oriented rather than... What's your experience of it? Yeah, you know, How yeah. do you feel about... The, right, how do you feel afterwards? Like, what How do you of, feel about the woman that you're doing it with? Yeah, right. Yeah, that was never part of the discussion, sure. really. Yeah. Right, right. So this was embedded in me, right? And then because of my lack of experience, it did, I just carried that forward to no, no way to really test it out. So s- sex really became an issue of performance rather than desire. Mm-hmm. You suppressed any of your own desires or feelings around your sexual urges, treating them almost as dangerous because they would might lead you into the situation where you would have to perform. And I didn't trust that I would be able to. Or even more so, maybe I could, but the other person is just going to see immediately, oh, you've never done this before. I don't, I don't want to do this. And then in the past, if you failed to perform for people, there were consequences. Yes. You had anger and violence and shame directed at you. Yes. So that's, that's how it ties into the codependency. Mm-hmm. And so I was setting myself up really sexually the same way I was setting myself up in every other way to just take whatever friend came along. And do whatever you had to do to make that person pleased and happy with yes. you. Yes. Yes. So these are the parallels we're talking about at the beginning of this episode is that this, I was completely set up to the, do the exact same thing as, as soon as any sort of sexual prospect came along that to where the other person was doing all the exerting of control because it was just too hard for me to do myself. So in, in the same way with making friends and making narcissistic friends and things like that, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sit back and let everybody else direct everything. I have, I have no power. So this continued through your 20s. Yep. So through college beyond college. And this friend I talked about, E, had a similar experience, very similar experience. And so that was one of the things, one of the big things that we kind of leaned on each other for, you know, we, our secret. And uh, and really what it caused you to do, unfortunately, you didn't draw strength from each other. You just no. kind of turned, you just created this codependent unit, yes. <laughs> the two of you, and almost reinforced each other's fear. Yeah, yeah. We're going to keep each other safe from, from this, this beast of shame you didn't encourage each other to pursue romantic or sexual relationships no No, we would talk about wanting that's the furthest we would get right just talking about like oh it sure would be nice to have a partner or it would sure be nice to have sex it'd be especially nice to have both you know i don't remember usually thinking about i just wanted to have sex i wanted it to be as part of a relationship and i've said this before basically i wanted a relationship that felt like my relationship with e but with a woman so they also included the the other aspects of, of a relationship, and including sex. But you did try at one point to access just a, just sex. Yes, I did, yeah. There was one moment where it was kind of almost a spur-of-the-moment thing, Vegas, 
where I call up a sex worker to come over to my room. So do you do you remember what what you were thinking at the time? Was it well? I want to get this over with. Yeah, or? I mean, it, it it was very it was not premeditated at all. Not that I it didn't cross my mind a few times before that, but then I was like, oh no, that's not going to be good. I just I could just feel that it wasn't going to be a good idea. You know, why would this, why would I want that to be my first experience? Like a completely emotionless. You know, not that I'm not going to try to get into any sort of philosophical debates on the whole thing at this point. But that's how I felt, that it wasn't going to be a good idea. But then, yeah, I won some money. I was on a solo trip in Vegas, and I won some money. And and then just within minutes, I was like, I saw a flyer on the ground. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do that. And then once I did make that decision, I was like, well, good. Yeah, I'll just get this out of the way. Just see if see if I'm any good. I kind of, I think, I think that was part of, you know, see if I can do this, see how, if I have any issues or whatever, you know, just kind of get this out of the way. Right. And so the, the hope then that that would relieve the shame of not having had sex. Yeah. Right. Not really crossing my mind that I probably wouldn't have enjoyed that being my story. And would I want even to even tell people that story? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like, why is that any different than saying I've never done it? But what happened was I wasn't able to function. I wasn't able to get an erection. So the sex worker left and yeah I paid basically for shame and uh yeah that was a very different that was the most heaviest shame moment I had had in my life up to that point that was the first time I ever experienced suicidal feelings to that Mm -hmm. it didn't last long I was very good at compartmentalizing so thank goodness (laughs) I put that away very quickly (laughs) you know within a half hour or something I was merrily on my way again and but still in the same position I was before basically or maybe even worse yeah, probably, you know, I mean, that, that it's not like that didn't have any effect on me. Mm-hmm. Um, it went in there, it went into the ball of unresolved emotions and unresolved shame. So yeah, at this point, and this happened very close, probably within a year and a half of what I don't know if I've described in the podcast, but I know I've described it in some of the written material that I've put in. In Patreon. In Patreon, where uh, I had this job in the city I was living in and I got laid off from the job and moved to another city. But I was in this landscape where, yeah, this is just this, this shame that I was carrying was so big. And when I moved to this new city, I had this distraction, this, this crazy distraction of kind of tasks and excitement of I'm in a new city. No one knows me here. I remember thinking that I can just start fresh. No one's going to know that I was shy. No one's going to know this or that about me. And and I very much, to much to my surprise and excitement, successfully rode that wave, except that I remember not knowing how I got there. So I was severely depressed and suicidal for an extended period of time before moving to the new city. And I was on antidepressants. So when I moved and suddenly I didn't feel depressed at all anymore, I likened it to, oh, it must be maybe the antidepressants finally started working. And I was doing work, you know, I was in AA for a year before I moved. So maybe that that stuff was working too. So, okay, there we go. All this work is working. Even though I felt like complete crap up to the very second I decided to move to this new city. Interesting. And suddenly it magically changed. But I just remember thinking, oh, well, cool. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just that was enough. That was enough. So you had this false confidence. Yes. Whatever was wrong with you Extreme false confidence. Yeah, it was all fixed. But yeah, so I didn't have any self-awareness. And so now I was, for the really the first time, putting myself out there. But I think we should leave it here for this episode because we've kind of covered a lot and there's more to talk about because now we're about to get into actual sexual trauma, at least with me, like rather than this kind of indirect trauma. You're going to meet R. Yeah, I'm going to meet R here. Okay, so we'll, we'll leave that for the next episode, which we hope you will join us for. We'll put Brian's 
show notes about this episode uh, on Patreon. If you'd like to join us there, there's extra material for most all of the episodes, as well as the opportunity to share your story in a more private setting. Thanks as always for listening. You can find us on social media, on Facebook or Instagram by looking for a codependent mind. And we hope you join us for sex part two (laughs) in a couple weeks. (laughs) 